stand uh, while I read from 1 Timothy chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives." Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less <clears throat> excuse me, than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur, incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, marriage or manage your households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom, enlighten us, teach us, not that we'd be smarter, but that we'd be more obedient. We would understand your ways better and carry them out. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Interesting passage, and a challenging one at that. Paul, again, to give you context, is writing to the church at Ephesus, where Timothy is pastor. And uh, we know he's young, we don't know how young he is, but Paul speaks to him as a young man, <clears throat> as a protege in the gospel, and uh, we have the, the richness of Paul's letters all through the New Testament as he writes to churches and to people, and, and uh, this, this is very, very good material that we're looking at. Welcome to Alberta Baptist, whether you're here with us or online, we are so glad to have you all together. Uh, just sort of hang on to your place if you've opened your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter five, these first 16 verses. 
Uh, I may stray to other places. It's probably best just for you to stay there. I'm not going to reread everything that Carol just read. Parts, yes, but not all. So uh, as I call out verses, you may want to look down and check me out and make sure I'm saying the right thing. Um, Years ago, uh, we had a Sunday school teacher named Spurgeon Davis. And yes, he was named after Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher. And uh, uh, the Davis family has been stalwart in Alberta Baptist Church for a lot of years. Most of you did not know Spurgeon. Um, uh, Most of you do remember uh, his brother Herbert, who sat over here until recently. He's now, he and Dot are living in Tuscumbia with their daughter because they've gotten sort of uh, frail, fragile. And we miss them greatly. Spurgeon was, um, we had a meeting after the great tornado of 2011 that you hear about and has become legendary. Uh, When the building was in shambles back on the opposite end where there's a parking lot now, there was a parking lot then. And a church over in Georgia had given us a red and white striped tent uh, and we had, although we were meeting at open door for our regular services, we did a lot of things in that tent and out of that tent. Um, we had one uh, forward-looking meeting there. Um, several people gave testimonies. Herbert gave a testimony. His brother Spurgeon that I'm talking about gave a testimony. He stood up and um, declared, well, he, he reminisced for a minute He said, uh, how many of you remember the Sunday back in the 1960s, we had 1,300 people in Sunday school and a lot of people in that meeting did. And as he went on, he said, uh, but we don't live on what's in the past. We live on what's to come. And uh, he prophesied over us in his own way. He said uh, he believed that Alberta's greatest days were ahead of her. Alberta Baptist's greatest days. And uh, I don't think we've seen that yet. And I'm not counting in numbers of people, but I think we have a ways to go and I think God is taking us there. Um, so those of us who have seen that and heard it, think about it and talk about it from time to time. Um, he also was a Sunday school teacher and um, he was a, a, our department director uh, for, uh, many of us were young adults at that time, not so much anymore. Uh, we had three classes. There was a men's class, ladies' class, and a couple's class. And he named the department the I Care Department. Not I Care as in vision, but I Care in the heart. It mattered to him so much that we care for one another that uh, he wanted to name our department after that and model that for us and encourage us to follow in his footsteps in that way. So that takes us to our text, finally. Uh, Four truths that I would like to uh, talk about, not as an outline because I'm gonna go back and forth and so it would not make, can't call it an outline, but these are the four points that I want to get across as we go. Number one, our fellowship is a family. Number two, we must meaningfully meaningfully care for the needs of our fellowship. We must meaningfully care for the the needy neighbors who are not yet members of our fellowship. And everyone has a role to fill. 
in these 16 verses. These are, there, there's more truth than that, but these are the ones that stand out to me that are evident. How easy is it to walk in on a Sunday morning and sit next to somebody and not necessarily even speak to them? Uh, we don't know who they are and we would not want to invade their privacy and we would not want to bother them. They're entitled. No, uh, we have a fellowship here. We have a family here. And um, so part of this challenge is to engage simply, you know, as we are in here, but there's a a multitude of other ways to engage with one another. Uh, Engage with people who are not yet family so that they will be drawn into the family. Um, First John tells us that not loving our fellow believers is evidence that we have passed from life into death, excuse me, from death into life. Um, The church is not like family, it is. Jesus is our big brother. And we are literally brothers and sisters of Christ. He was the firstborn among many brethren as he was resurrected. He was the firstborn from the dead. If he was the firstborn, that means there was a secondborn and a thirdborn and a fourth. Your number's in there somewhere. He is our big brother. We are brothers and sisters of his. Um, I don't know how... Your family is, some of you have wonderful families, some of you have families that it's good to be away from. Um, and, and, and so we, we come from all these different backgrounds and, and, and individual little tribal cultures that we've come out of. But one thing I've learned over time is my church family in many ways is dearer than my blood relations. I have a few left. I'm, I'm in a generation now, I've got one uncle left and all the other elders in my family have passed away. And as I go along, I still have a wonderful son and daughter and grandchildren, but many, many of the people that I used to look up to in my family have gone. But I have you, I have you all. And that matters more and more and more as I go. Um, I would encourage uh, you young folks as you consider moving away from home uh, to think about how far you're going and to make sure you always have a back door to get back when the time comes because there will be a need sometimes for us to be family to our physical family. But in the meantime, we have our church family to look after and to look, and, and to look after us. Um, Jesus announced that whoever, this is Matthew 12, 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so he calls this out for us. He was using those well-known categories of relationship to describe what he has intended for us. It's, It's like standing in the light with my shadow on a wall. Really, my physical family is a shadow of what... Christ intends for us to be family uh, together in a spiritual sense. Okay, first verses, I, want to, I do want to reread those to us. First uh, Timothy 5, verses one, two, 1 through 3. Do not rebuke an older man, 
but exhort or encourage, depending on what your translation says there, encourage him as you would a father. A younger man as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. What's the difference in rebuke and encourage or exhort? Rebuke is to criticize harshly or to reprove. If you disagree with an elder or a brother or a sister, uh, you could rebuke them. He says exhort or encourage, which is to urge or to advise earnestly. What's the difference in the two? Love, kindness. And so that is a call for us to treat the rest of our family with this respect, with this kindness that engenders fellowship rather than estranging us from fellowship. Um, He's saying to love these older men, older women with an affection that's similar to what you would have for your parents. Uh, that's, that, that's, that's what he's encouraging us to do. Uh, tender and compassionate wisdom, this is, wisdom, to know how to deal with each other in ways that builds the fellowship. Referring to older and younger, generally in verses one and two, uh, and then for 14 verses, he deals with widows. I don't know of any other place in the Bible comparable to this, but let me tell you, this is very consistent with what God does all the way through the Bible. Um, Widows are in a certain company through the Bible. If you were here when I spoke in November, I talked about the quartet of the vulnerable. Uh, There are more uh, categories of people than four who qualify for, as needy and, and being on God's side or God is in their favor. But the poor, the stranger that is in your community, the orphan and the widow summarize the vulnerable as a quartet. And as we deal specifically with widows, I want us to kind of keep in mind that there are other people who are needy as we very carefully define what a true widow is Let's let's remember that she's being singled out because she's needy. And there are others in our church and in our community that qualify along with her, although we're dealing specifically with widows. Look back in the Old Testament. Uh, Don't look, just listen back to the Old Testament. God talks about widows in particular in Exodus. He is the friend of widows He is the champion of widows and he calls for us to be the same. Exodus chapter 22, Isaiah chapter one, Job 22, uh, Job 31, Psalm 93, Psalm 94, Zechariah chapter seven. Um, Injustice towards widows was common in those days. Why? Because they make easy prey. If they've got a little land left over, well, let's see if we can figure out a way to take it from her. Uh, if you know, nobody's guarding her, nobody is watching out for her. So God then becomes the champion of the people who are helpless. He calls on us to, to feel towards them, to act towards them the same way he does. God commanded that the widow be considered part of the community, not to be forgotten. 
The people of God must extend the same merciful protection as they bestow on orphans and, and defenseless aliens. That's in Deuteronomy in two places there. Um, people are not to take the clothing or property in payment for debt. If a widow owes you, you don't just foreclose on her. You figure out some other way around that. At the harvest, leave her some grain in the field, leave her some olives in the grove, uh, leave her some grapes on the vine. Didn't say to pick them for her, although if she needs it, you could do that too. But that was part of God's system of caring for people, caring for the needy, is they were instructed not to cut the corners of the field. Let the widows come in after and take care of their, their own needs on the people who were able-bodied and had the farms to, 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 to live off of. The widow must also be the beneficiary of additional gifts. God pledged himself to sustain the widow who hopes in him. He calls for the widow to hope in him and he looks after her in return. He will preserve the widow's inheritance in Proverbs 15. God himself is her protector, Psalm 67 and 145. In Hebrew, uh, so Old Testament, New Testament, that the, whenever you see the Bible repeat something, what does that mean? That's emphasis. Do you get the idea yet that God is rep repeating himself in all sorts of different types of books of the Bible? to make sure that we get this about caring for those who need care. Um, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New. The New Church in Jerusalem, in its very early days, Acts chapter six, the first deacons were appointed to care for the widows because there was a dispute. The ones who spoke the language and were in the community uh, looked like they were getting better care than the ones who spoke Greek. And there was a complaint and the apostles said, well, uh, we can't deal with all the problems of the church. We need deacons to be the servants to look after these widows. So that in, in Joppa, in Acts chapter nine, there's a brief story about a, um, a craftswoman named Tabitha who wove things, made things. And um, Peter was called. Uh, but, you know, when she died, Peter was called uh, and, and, and the widows were mourning her, say, showing garments that she had made, saying, and she, and she was known for her acts of charity. She was helping the widows, and they, were, they just felt hopeless and lost. And so what did Peter do? He prayed, and God raised her from the dead so she could be back in their company and doing what she did. That's, God cares about widows, you think? James 1 chapter, uh, excuse me, James chapter 1 verse 27 says, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So the pattern is clear, it is consistent, it is vital, and there is a call on us. We owe a debt to the people who qualify as widows and needy uh, because not because they owe us personally, it's because we owe God personally and he gives us instructions. Not only does it mean, I think, 
those in the church, but those who are not yet in the church. And now you're thinking, well, we can't take care of all the widows. Well, we can take care of some, and God will make it clear to us day by day, one by one, which ones we need to care for. So these verses, I think, would prompt our church to ask some very hard questions of ourselves. What are we doing to intentionally care for the widows that God has entrusted to our care? And who are they? We know a lot of them. A lot of them are being cared for. I don't want to imply by any of this that we are careless and and hard-hearted. We are engaged with our widows. Do we do a good enough job? I don't think we ever could do enough. So we need to continue to examine ourselves and look for opportunity and identify those who need to be helped. Um, So who are the widows that qualify? Paul goes into a lot of detail about this and I wanna be careful. Uh, It needs to be translated to some degree into our culture without watering down what he has to say. So let me see if I can kind of work my way through that in a way that is helpful and meaningful. Um, many of the widows in, well, the widows in his fellowship, if they didn't have a husband, uh, they didn't have children, uh, you know, they, they were, you know, that simply says that they're truly widows. They don't have relatives to help take care of them. And they certainly qualify. There are others, there, there are other ways to look at this. Um, in, in that culture, they were truly helpless. In our culture, we have a lot of widows that have disability insurance, life insurance, 401ks, assisted living centers and nursing homes. So not to say that that takes care of everything, but it makes us examine our role in how we care for them a little differently. They, they may not have any financial needs, but they certainly, now with these institutions, we end up with people being isolated in ways that they weren't because at that time, everybody lived with somebody, you know, even a widow, hopefully she wasn't just totally by herself. Uh, now we have folks who live in a room off a hallway uh, in an institution where somebody comes by and takes care of the bare necessities and moves on. And so a lot of times we uh, need to care for somebody in a, just a, a more heartfelt way than in a financial way. And so the, 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 the circumstances are at least to some degree different in our day. Uh, these safety nets are not bad, but they, if somebody's physical needs are cared for, we don't need to be lulled to sleep thinking that their emotional needs are cared for and their family needs. Um, also, there are some women who never married and they wouldn't have children or husband to help care for them. There are some women who have been divorced through circumstances beyond their control. There are some women who still live with a husband who has pretty well abandoned and is not caring. And so we have people in those circumstances as well to care for and to care about. Uh, our main duty may be a phone call, but it also may need to be something like fixing a leaky toilet valve or rebuilding a porch, or taking groceries to make sure that, that, that they are physically cared for in these ways. Now listen, Paul does not give anybody a free ride. 
even the widow is expected to do her part. Um, Widows who are homebound are called on to pray. In fact, that's one of the qualifications is someone who prays and intercedes. So God is the defender of the widow, yet he still calls on the widow to do her part as well. Um, Verse three says, honor and support the widows. Uh, and, And there are widows old and young, some more able, some less able. Uh, need to be aware of the pain and the hurt among all single women. Uh, you know, that, that is a category to itself. Honor destitute widows through support, those who are truly widows. Um, so to be truly a widow, you must have no relatives. And then he turns around and calls on the relatives. Look, you need to be caring for the widow that's in your family, the uh, uh, relatives should support their grandparents and grandparents. Um, and verse four says, this pleases God. Verse eight says, this demonstrates your faith. Verse eight has some steel in it, all right? But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What an indictment. I know lots of folks in this church and, and outside this church who have cared for their parents and have looked after them and, and have looked after grandparents and t- taken care of them. But if you are in that exception where you have decided that, they don't, that, that you're not responsible, that you didn't ask to be born, <laughs> uh, God does not give us that kind of option. Also, the church is not the first line of defense in this matter. The family, the physical family is that. So when relatives take care of their aging parents, it pleases God, it demonstrates their faith, and it relieves the church. Paul even uses that phrase to relieve the church to look after widows who need care more than the ones who have family. Um, A real widow uh, will put her hope in God that, that is, that's part of the qualification, someone who has their hope in God. A God-centered life leads to, to the third uh, qualification to widows. They must be devoted to prayer. Uh, the quote is, she continues in supplications and prayers night and day. That reminds me of an 84-year-old widow in Luke chapter two. Her name was Anna. And she stayed in the temple. She did not leave the temple complex serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. Really? We'd give her a name. We'd call her crazy. I mean, that is, is, we consider that unusual behavior. God used Anna to speak in, Mary and Joseph were child parents. They were young, most likely. And Jesus was being brought into the temple for circumcision on the eighth day as required. And, 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 and Anna prophesied over them and gave them guidance. How did she get to the place where God used them to, to, to prophesy to Mary and Joseph? Well, she stayed in the temple night and day, praying and fasting and, 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 and serving the Lord. That's what, the, the, there's an ideal widow situation right there. 
How did she get cared for? We don't know. That's the only verses in the whole Bible about Miss Anna. But what a, what a life to get to that place. Um, older widows uh, who are not physically able to do as much, don't have children to care for, are on the other hand freed up to sit and pray, to read the Bible, uh, praying and reading and back and forth. Uh, even uh, as I've retired a few years ago, I've had more time than ever in my life. And it's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to spend more time in prayer and have more time relating to God so that he can pour into me in ways that I was too busy, I thought, for him to do so earlier. And so what we're painting here is a picture of not only someone who has need that we have a debt to because we owe God, but also a person who has lived a wonderful life and who has taken care of her family, taken care of her children over the years, and is now taking care of God's business in the only way that she's physically able to do. And she is, look at where this is in the Bible. Kyle talked to us a few weeks ago um, uh, about deacons and elders and that sort of thing. Uh, I don't think any one of them got as many verses as the widow did or does. Uh, but those are offices, and it's not established an office of widow, but he is giving her a place and a position in our church family that deserves an awful lot of respect and an awful lot of care. And we don't need to, to fail to pay attention to that. There's honor here for our widows. He's calling older widows to serve, to serve in the church. Um, he's putting qualifications on those who might serve in this kind of capacity. Again, he is not declaring widowhood to be an office or certainly not a spiritual gift, but he is also identifying the widows as having this place of honor and this position of, of, uh, which, which brings respect. Um, and so Paul is giving everybody something to do. Nobody gets a free ride. Concerning those who are to be enrolled as widows, they must be mature women. He's referring to their age. In his case, over 60. I don't think that's a hard number necessarily. It's, you know, physically, do they need that kind of care? Um, they're beyond, they would be beyond the ability to work and support themselves. Those women, the older ones, are less likely to remarry. They must have been faithful wives. Uh, the term there uh, with a deacon, it's be, be a one-woman man. You know, it, 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 you know, the husband of one wife be a one-woman man is the way it translates. Uh, here for the widow, is she's to be a one-man woman. She would have been faithful to a man. Uh, in her life, and, and so that is her qualification. And caring for children, hospitable, humble servants, unselfish, and kind. These are all qualifications that come for the widow that we care for. Um, he's calling widows to maximize their time on earth and serve the church, at the same time calling on the church to honor widows and supporting them in service Supported and serving. There is a, um, 
Okay, he talks about the younger widows and calls on them to, uh, to marry. Or that, that is not a, an absolute for every culture. In fact, in, in Corinthians, Paul calls on people who are not married to just, it'd be better if you do remain unmarried. But if you look into Timothy, he also warns Timothy about those who are in the church uh, uh, preaching false doctrine. And one of, one of the false doctrines mentioned is not to marry. And Paul says, you know, give these younger widows a chance to marry. It's not wrong to do so. Uh, and I think it's a warning for all of us that we not be gossips and not be busybodies and not be lazy, whether we're uh, widows or, or, or any other category of people. He's calling on us to, 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 you know, to work and to not, not, carry, uh, not carry tales. Why, why not gossip? I, I finally figured out, you know, why, why you're not hurting anybody. Well, you are. If, if, if you gossip to me about something that's absolutely true, even, even, I'm, I'm not, you know, gossip is not necessarily a lie. It could be the truth. It's usually something that would rather, the person would rather not be told. If you tell me something that's not really good about somebody, it makes it that much harder for me to love them. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> I'll try to keep it to myself and make, and, and so that I don't make it harder for you to love somebody else. We're called on to love, not to know everything about everybody's business. Widows must abhor gossip. I'm involved, but let me go back and say this one thing. Uh, there, there are sort of two schools of thought where we're talking about enrolling a widow. Well, is it about enrolling them to be served or enrolling them for service? And scholars differ on it, but, and I'm not a Bible scholar by any means, but what I see here, it's gotta be both, right? Where they're enrolled to be served and they're enrolled for service at the same time. And um, I, I'm part of a couple of networks that checks on widows within the church. I mean, I, I call it network, it's, it's not a big deal, but uh, in Sunday school, we, we, we're calling people and checking on folks. And also as deacons, we are calling people and checking on folks. And I know of several individuals who don't seem to be networking at all, but they have such a heart. Uh, they bring people who can't drive to church. They take meals to people that have a hard time getting to the meals. They cut grass, rake leaves, and do things. And there, I think Carol Barnett and Ed are working on networking some of that in a little bit more intentional way. But there are already people doing things like this. We just need to make sure that nobody falls through the cracks. Think about some things. Do you know any widows in our church? And if not, why not? And if you do, what might you do? I'm not asking, I'm, I don't want you to tell me, I just want you to think. I, I want you to consider these things. How about divorced people who need, good grief, sometimes when you go through divorce, that's, that's, that's worse than, there, there, there's not the closure there that there is with a death. And do you know anybody that's been through divorce that needs somebody to listen to or somebody to talk to? 
uh, any other single women, uh, how could they be cared for? What could you do for them? Um, what can you do to show Christian love to your own parents, to your own grandparents? Make sure they're not forgotten or they don't feel forgotten. Um, remember, remember, Paul says, neglecting them is worse than being an unbeliever. Do you know widows who are prayer warriors? Would you honor them by asking them to pray for you? That conversation of asking them to pray for you could turn into something really interesting. I've got a couple of widows that I talk to every week, and uh, we just have the best time. Just, just talking goes way too long, and uh, I always say, call you next week. We'll talk, to, talk next week. The conversations for someone who doesn't have very far or doesn't have very much going on in their life can be golden. And so I would encourage you to spend some time just talking. And in the course of talking, you'll find out what the needs are. Let's pray. Lord, please imprint these words on our hearts. Please transform our lives. Help us to conform to your will for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.